Fritz met Isabel when they were in kindergarten. He noticed her running across the playground with her blonde curls dancing. He was captivated. They played a lot, and one time she even ran up and kissed him on the cheek and giggled and ran away. It was the best day. But she became very popular, and he, well, he was always meant to do math, and he was really good at it. But that didn't make him very popular. They grew up together in Dresden, Germany. Fritz studying math and watching her do her thing every year. Through grammar school and middle school and into high school. And finally, towards the end of high school, Fritz got up the courage to ask her out to lunch on a Saturday, and she actually said okay. They dated through university, and they were married as Fritz entered a PhD program. They had a little girl named Anna, and life was very good. They raised her together. She had her mother's blonde curls. When Anna was nine, Isabel, in the middle of the day, got a terrible headache. It made her throw up. It was so bad. They rushed her to the hospital, and they found this tumor in her brain. It was like a spiral journey began, and they were just going down. Everything went so quickly. The chemotherapy, her losing her hair, losing weight, becoming frightened, not being able to speak well, and being afraid of the darkness, and... She was gone. Fritz would later write that when she died, there was this big hole in his whole life, this huge void, because she had filled his life. He and Anna would bump around their house, and it felt so empty and so quiet and so strange. He hardly knew how to survive navigating around this huge void, this huge darkness in his life. Anna turned 15 earlier this year. And Fritz heard about the war in Ukraine and the people who were running 
who were running away from everything they knew, from their homes, from their families, from their livelihoods. And Fritz was praying and he heard two words. It's time. It's time. And with those two words, he understood that it was time for him to fill this void and that he was supposed to go. He sat across the dinner table from Anna and said, I, 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 I think I'm supposed to go and, and find some people to live with us for a while. And she said, yes, Daddy, that's good. So he drove through Poland to the border of Ukraine and met up with a young mother who had two little boys and her mother, and he brought them all back to his house in Dresden. And they have this very weird family they're trying to create, and it's messy, and there's a lot of language barriers in And they're making this new kind of life together. And Fritz said, I know that Isabel smiles down upon me. Because she wanted the void to be filled in some way. And I'm trying to fill it. And it's nothing like having her but I have purpose in my life. I have family. Who is our family? When you look at the record of our history, the great human family, when you look at the scripture, it is one story after another of people being displaced from their homes from the Garden of Eden where we're cast out to Abraham leaving his home and Joseph being thrust into Egypt and Moses and the people of Israel being in exile and on and on and the prophets. And it's an unending story of displacement. Even Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And even if you own your home because you bought it before all this crazy market stuff, and even if you've paid off your mortgage and you own it outright, and even if you have a big house with the best furniture, I think there's a piece of us always that knows that even the best home here is not a permanent home. And that we too will be displaced. And we long for that stability, that permanence. We long to be truly at home in eternity with those that we love. I was flipping through the channels two nights ago 
and I came across a news station I had never heard of before. Probably good, and I hadn't heard of it, actually. I watched it for a few minutes. They were filming refugees coming across the Mexico border into Texas, and it was all dark, and they had spotlights on people who were carrying babies and children, and the news was saying, they're bringing drugs with them. And I thought, oh my God, no wonder we're so afraid. We're so afraid of letting in people that they're going to wreck our homes and destroy our lives and hurt us. But again and again and again, the scripture says to us that we are supposed to welcome in the stranger. It's not just in one passage, it's everywhere. We are not supposed to live by fear. Jesus says, when you have a dinner, don't invite your friends and all the people who have a house and you get invited back again. Go out on the street and invite the people who have no home. Bring the ones that smell and the ones that are offensive and the ones that you don't like. Bring them inside. Eat with them. Because in doing so, you fill the gap. You see, we all have these empty spaces in our lives that cannot be filled by buying more things or getting more stuff or even having the perfect relationship. Nothing will fill us until we act like Jesus and do what he said. Nothing will make us at home except, ironically, to open our homes and to be radically, terrifyingly available to serve God. The Episcopal Church has asked us to have a special Sunday today that we call Refugee Sunday because we believe that more than ever, refugees will be pouring into this country. Just this morning, I talked to one of our parishioners who has a family from Kiev living in her home here in Jacksonville. They are coming. In the early church, the old disciple John wrote a letter and he said, Our Lord gave his life for us and we too are to love in that way, not just in word and speech, but in deed and action. It is not enough for us to put a Ukrainian flag on our Facebook page or to say something profound or to paint a picture. I tried that. God is saying to us that we need to do something, action. It's time. You're going to get an Easter letter from me. Maybe you already got it. In the Easter letter, I wrote about what happened a few Sundays ago. Our city, Jacksonville, decided to demolish this huge building, Berkman Plaza 2, they decided that the safest time to demolish this building 
when there would be the least people downtown was on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And I realized this is significant. My friends, we now live in a post-Christian world. This area is not considered full of people on Sunday morning anymore. This area with the most beautiful historic churches. They decided to demolish that building on this hour because they don't think about us anymore. And what that tells me is that you are here despite the fact that you are swimming against culture to get here. You decided that coming here was more important than the 50 other things you could be doing. You decided to turn us on or to show up here. And that tells me that you're interested in doing more than just sitting in the pew, that you are followers of Jesus. And for you, I say, it's time. This is your home. This is your spiritual home where you get fed with the body and blood of Christ so that you can go out there and welcome the rest of them so that you can go out there and do your work of radical love so that you can fill that empty space that only God can fill when we follow in Christ's footsteps. Following this service, we will have a panel of speakers from refugee ministries throughout this city, Lutheran Social Services, Catholic Charities, Come, eat some lunch, and find out what you can do. Each one of you can do something. It is time, my friends. It's time. <laughs>